Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Andy Skinner, Sean Wallace and Paul Chalk for our discussions. How are we folks? Ah, you all good, well, thanks Ryan. Ryan. Good, good thanks. yourself? Yep. yep, not bad. Uh, we've reached the end of the season for us, finally, so... Who knows what we're going to do in the coming weeks, but we've still got what we can go out with a bang this week, talking about actual football games. We'll start this week with Rangers 4, Aberdeen 0 at Ibrox. Uh, I don't think we went into this game, Sean, necessarily expecting much from the Dons. Obviously, they've had a pretty poor season. Uh, There's a lot of change coming. There's a lot of players leaving um, or have already left. With a retained list out yesterday, but did we did we expect anything better from this game than a four 0 drubbing? Uh, maybe slightly better than a four 0 defeat, but I certainly wasn't anticipating an Aberdeen win. I mean, when you when you look at the Rangers' record at home in the Premiership prior to the match, eighteen wins from eighteen, scored fifty three, conceded four. They've got the, the, the title party. There was no way Rangers were going to be off the boil when they could finish the season with a 100% league home record. And Aberdeen, I mean, there's been some improvements, particularly going forward under Stephen Glass, but there's that vulnerability at the back is still there, and that was shown at Ibrox. I mean, four goals. Four of them could have been avoided, and Aberdeen had their goal-scoring chances, didn't take them. And that is the difference at this level. You can't give teams like Rangers opportunities in your own half, well, in your own box, and then spurn queer opportunities to score. If you do that, you're going to get punished, and that's what happened. And it was just depressingly predictable once Joe Lewis punched the ball into his own net. But to Aberdeen's credit, at least they did rally at the second half. I mean, the first 45 minutes, just not good enough. But, I mean, that first 10, 15 minutes of the second spell, they could conceivably have drawn level. But, yeah, again, it just reared its head. They've got no one there to convert chances. And that's going to have to be fixed in the summer. It almost feels to me as if, and we'll get on the goals in a minute, but it almost feels to me as if, they are probably creating more. They're they're definitely a better attacking force. Although, as you said, they don't have the finisher there to to, to kill those chances. And but there also appears with a sort of maybe a slightly more gung ho approach to going forward. There appears to be slightly more like one thing we could have said earlier in the season was at least to keep a clean sheet. Maybe don't score. But they're getting these nil nils because they're pretty solid at the back, but. And I know Ash Taylor was out of the team and he's now left the club or whatever. And there were like sort of changes there, but they, they do appear to be a bit sort of, or have appeared to be a bit um, bit ropier in defence. Seem to be, like, apart the first goal aside, there seem to be balls are coming to the box. Like the Rangers players seem, maybe it's their movement, but there seem to be a lot of freedom for the Rangers players in the Aberdeen area. The second goal, I mean, yeah, Ryan Kent. Conor McLennan just allowed, allowed him to race past him. He had his hands up as if saying, I'm not going to fool you, but just put the challenge in. He was near the byline. Either put the challenge in or usher him so the ball goes out. He just had three then to cut the ball across. Kamar Roof's there. 
put it in. I mean, it took a deflection again off Jack McKenzie, but it was going in anyway. And for the two goals in the second half, it was just absolutely kamikaze defending. I mean, the, the ball on the flanks, all they had to do was play it down the flank, but in both occasions, decided to cut inside, play it inside, maybe tried to play out from the back. Yeah, but in both occasions, the ball was intercepted. Rangers pushed on and scored. Aye, I mean, for, for those two goals to, to kind of go in at a time when Aberdeen were, were really dominant in the game at the, the start of the second half, you know, if they'd got a goal back at that stage, then they, they could have made a, an interesting kind of finish to the to the game out of it. But um, it almost just summed up the season, really, for, for Aberdeen to, to then concede at that particular point. Um, but I think, you know, that point you made, Ryan, about the, the style of play that Stephen Glass is looking to implement, um, you know, for that to, to show to some extent in some of the, the performance at Ibrox, maybe just highlights how important it was for him to get his feet under the table in these last five games or so of the, the season. Because, um, you know, he's obviously going to undertake a, a major rebuild of the, the squad. And, you know, if there are signs of his style of play coming to to fruition, it, it's clearly going to be with a much changed squad. And there does need to be some continuity from, from these, you know, last five games or so, because... You know, some of the the players will remain, but uh, I think you know he's going to now have to seriously assess the the sort of personnel and the sort of characters that he he's going to need to to really carry that into the new campaign. And you know, with the benefit of a, a preseason as well, um, you know, there's there's clearly a lot of work needing done there. But you know, I think it is quite encouraging to see little signs of that that vision kind of showing up and. In games like that at Ibrox, even even if the the end result was one that you know kind of underlines the the extent of the the rebuild that's needed, I'm quite keen to look at the Rangers game through the lens of what the squad's going to look like next season. So the first the first thing, as we discussed, the first goal, Joe Lewis was back in the team um, after injury. He had that rib injury that he suffered a few weeks ago. Gary Woods had been playing okay. In the team, I think there were maybe question marks about the goal he conceded against Hibbs, but I, I generally didn't think that he'd done too badly with that Christian Dodge strike. Um, now, we've all seen the photos of Gary Woods out in the town on Friday night on social media that appeared, but I mean, we don't know if Joe Lewis is fit. He's a club captain, of course. He comes back in the team. We don't know what's happened there. We don't have, we, we're not inside Cormac Park or Pataudry or whatever the conversations take place to know why Gary Woods didn't start as Joe Lewis did. And, we're certainly not in a position to explain what Joe Lewis was doing for the first goal. My question to you is, Joe Lewis has had a few over the course of the season sort of ropey moments. I also remember Aberdeen's exit in the Cup, to St Mirren, the League Cup, was it? Where he, he let in a goal late on from a shot from range. Um, is his position where we'd signed up for next season on a pre-contract? Is, is Lewis maybe got a bit of competition for the, the number one spot? I think he's got a bit of competition, but I still expect Joe Lewis to be the number one choice next season. I mean, he's been so solid for so many years for Aberdeen. You just don't discard that because he's had a, a couple of bad, costly mistakes. I think he's got enough in the bank, albeit it's a new manager. who Maybe he's got different ideas and he has signed Woods on a two-year permanent contract. But I just think Joe Lewis has got enough there that he will be number one choice. And 
maybe being club captain has maybe been a distraction for him because he's the top of trying to concentrate in the game. He's got to try and get the players motivated. And personally, I don't think a goalkeeper should be a captain. I think it needs to be someone in the the heart of the action that can push on and distribute messages immediately to the players and G them up. And I don't think a, a keeper is in a position to do that. And with, with two captains from other clubs and Scott Brown from Celtic, Declan Gallagher from Motherwell being signed, I would anticipate that one of those will be club captain next season and that the, the pressure of that will be taken off Joe Lewis's shoulders. So I, I anticipate him being number one. Yeah, just on that, I completely agree with Sean. I was um, travelling at the weekend and listening to the, the comments on the radio during that Rangers game and um, that not for the first time this season was raised about Joe Lewis being the, the club captain and I think Sean's spot on. I don't, I, I've never been a big fan of a goalkeeper being the skipper. Uh, you can't really influence what's going on in front of you. Um, and uh, you've got two ready-made captains, as Sean says, coming in, into the club. And I, I do feel that Joe has felt the, the pressure and responsibility a little bit too much. And um, Ryan, you mentioned yourself too, that's two bad errors now, the one against St Mirren and now this one as well, been, been costly. I agree that overall Joe Lewis has been a terrific number one for Aberdeen. I do think he's got real competition now um, in Woods coming in. I think... Um, which has certainly done himself no harm at all. Of, um, I remember what he was like at Ross County. He's a real steady goalkeeper, and I, I do think um, uh, Stephen Glass has got a big decision to make on that. I don't think it's a, a given that Joe Lewis should start next season as the, the number one. I think um, both goalkeepers should go uh, from nil-nil, if you like, right from this point right through until um, Aberdeen uh, return to the, the pitch for pre-season. I mean, fundamentally, decisions on goalkeepers, decisions on defenders will be made and have been made already with a retained list yesterday, Tommy Hoban and Ash Taylor, centre-backs exiting the club, we know Mikey Devils maybe going to stay, that those decisions are going to be made based on the system Glass wants to play. Is he looking for a goalkeeper that's good with the ball at his feet to help play out from the back? Is he looking for centre-backs that are capable of doing that also? You clearly see something in Mikey Devlin, maybe, um, giving him a short-term deal, despite him being injured most of this season, to maybe try and, you know, if he wants, like, because I think we've seen the last few weeks that if he wants to play that style of play, then the players he's got at his disposal are going to have to be drastically different for next season because I, I, I don't think they've, I don't personally think, maybe they're getting used to it, but I don't personally think the ones that have been in the squad for the last five games of the season or however long it's been have necessarily been up to that task they don't look comfortable Ryan, and, and that's right yeah i think goalkeepers as well and, and modern goalkeepers you know you need them to be comfortable with the ball at their, their feet and um um it's a real 50 50 whether uh, which which of the two current keepers are, are best in that front you know you can't argue with joe lewis's uh, clean sheet record over the years but there has been signs that he's been um in key moments, he, he's cost them uh, dearly. Sean, I, I think as a, I think as a tendency from some people to forget just how good Mikey Devlin can be, just because he's been out injured for so long, 
I mean, prior to the injury he suffered when he was away on international duty with Scotland, he was the standout centre-back for me at Aberdeen, better than Scott McKenna at the time. So I, I think it's right to give Devon the, the opportunity to prove him his fitness and maybe earn a long-term deal. And I think Devlin, if he's fit, consistently fit, could be a strong defender for Aberdeen that can potentially play the way Glass wants. I can't believe I'm going to say this on Northern Goal. But if Declan Gallagher and Mikey Devlin end up being the centre-back partnership, where does, where does that leave Andy Considine? Do we think the Dons, the Dons veteran, their longest-serving player, do we think he's capable of moving to a a footballing, playing out from the back um, you know, model. I mean, Andy Considine has played a, a large chunk of his career at fullback, um, and he, you know, he's adapted uh, when asked to do that, and also, you know, come back into the the heart of defence when when needed, where he's you know played a little bit more frequently this season. Um, you know, he has shown that he he, he has that versatility. I suppose maybe with the you know the age that Andy Constein's coming to, you know, there's there's maybe the the question mark over you know whether he can uh, sustain that level of performance throughout the the whole campaign. Um, he's certainly a useful option to have as he's you know proven you know to his worth for the Scot- Scotland national team in in recent times. Um, you know, he still has the the hope of being involved in Steve Cl- Steve Clark's squad for the the Euros this summer, but. Um, you know, I, I think he, he has has shown that he, he can adapt to to that more sort of forward thinking and and proactive style, where you know they're they're trying to keep possession and make things happen further up the the pitch. Um, but you know, perhaps it's it's maybe more the uh, you know the long term aspect that uh, Stephen Glass wants someone uh, a wee bit younger to perhaps come in. I mean, Clark Robertson is one that's been mentioned as as a possibility. And I certainly remember, you know, from his first spell at Aberdeen, he was particularly comfortable on the the ball, uh, you know, quite quite tidy and in possession. And you know, I think through his experience playing largely centre half, I believe, down in England, um, you know, he's probably um, developed quite a lot as a as a centre half, and you know, become a bit more comfortable with the the physical side of the game. So um, maybe it's it's. An element of succession planning in the in, in the works for that one. How do we feel, Sean, about Tommy Hoban and Ash Taylor leaving? Shea Logan, we've already really paid tribute to. We we did so because we knew he'd be leaving when he left Hearts, and I think we left for Hearts. And I think we all we all understand Shea Logan Shea Logan's contribution to Aberdeen over the last few years. Um, but in terms of Tommy Hoban and Ash Taylor, I mean, Hoban obviously came in. A, Pretty unique set of circumstances. Aberdeen giving him a chance to get his fitness back and him feeling the need to repay that by staying on and helping the club um, under McInnes. Again, um, do we feel it was maybe Hoban's decision to go back to England? Be, I know we'd spoken previously about being closer to family. Ash Taylor seems to suggest on his social media that he would have stayed if he'd been allowed to do so, but I think he was maybe told budget um, issues would prevent the Dons keeping him on. What what? Are those are those two players going to be big losses for the Reds? Yeah, uh, I think defensively. I mean, Aberdeen had been pretty solid this season, and I mean, maybe Aberdeen fans won't agree with me, but I think Ash Taylor has been one of the better players until he he picked up his injury. 
And Tommy Hoban, I was just delighted that he returned from what was a serious career-threatening injury, suffered whilst on loan at Aberdeen, and managed to come back, and he's racked up at a, a run of games, probably the longest run of games he's had for many a year. So now he's fully fit, and he can go on and continue his career. And for a while, that did look in jeopardy. So we're hoping it's just a fantastic bonus that he's now fit. And I was looking through the stats, actually, because I mean, Aberdeen have been so woeful in attack. I mean, 36 goals from 38 Premiership games is the worst scoring return in a league campaign in the club's 118-year history. It's been They've only scored 36 goals in a season four times previously. And that is the worst record. But because I'm a bit of a geek, I was looking through the stats and Aberdeen had seven nil-nil draws and one in the five one-nil wins. Now, if, it, if that defence hadn't secured clean sheets in those games, they would have dropped 17 points, which would have taken them down to 39 and right in the midst of a relegation battle. So yeah. I don't think you can under I don't think you can underestimate the job done by the back line to keep the Dons up near the top half of the table when the attack has been so poor. I think the last time last time they scored thirty six goals, they maybe finished ninth. And yeah, oh, as you said, thirty six goals isn't a lot. And I think Hamilton, who were rock bottom, probably past a certain point, never in danger of getting out of the relegation battle. Um, or getting out with that bottom spot. Uh, they were 34 goals, two goals less than the Don. So it shows you that the defence must have been good for some part of the season. Um, I, I think I think it's just with Hoban and Taylor, they just they don't fit into the style of football that Glass intends to play next season. I think that is a main contributing factor to them not being offered new deals. Yeah, I think fundamentally as well, like there'll be a lot of players who, you know, they're Derek McInnes' players as opposed to Stephen Glass's players. As always happens when a new manager comes in yeah. to a club. Um, we've already mentioned Mikey Devlin potentially staying on, signing a short-term term deal, maybe. Niall McGinn, I think we expect him to maybe sign a short-term deal as well. I think probably we've discussed Niall McGinn before. It's probably a good thing given he can he can still, maybe the legs have gone, but he can still produce a bit of magic now and then in a tight game. Um, but I don't know if we necessarily view him as a regular starter. Bruce Anderson was an interesting one last night. It broke that Bruce Anderson, striker, who's going to, I mean, he was the one we were thinking at least he'll be signed on as a striker for next season, a senior striker. But after spending the campaign at Hamilton, he's got used to regular football and it sounds like Livingston are potentially going to maybe swipe him from the clutches of the Dons on a three-year deal. Um, again, Aberdeen room for J. Emmanuel Thomas who is out of contract at Livingston, but has a gentleman's agreement with Livingston, which means Aberdeen would have to pay a fee for him, sort of compensation to get him, the Englishman, which could all tie together with Anderson going to Livy. Do we, do we see both those players, Bruce Anderson and J. Emmanuel Thomas, ending up on the Don's books next season? <clears throat> I think if Aberdeen can't guarantee Bruce Anderson regular starts, then... I would. I don't think he'll sign a, a new deal. He's at the stage of his career where he can't be sitting on the bench. He's had too much of that at Aberdeen. 
and at least he got to taste a first-team football at Hamilton, albeit in a team that got relegated. But from his interviews, you could tell that he was really flourishing in that atmosphere of being getting that those 90 minutes. And as for J. Emmanuel Thomas, I mean, I think people do him a gross misservice in tagging him as a powerful target man. There's so much more to him than that. He's skillful, as we saw in the two games, especially the cup game where he ran riot against Aberdeen, scored two goals. He's confident. He's got. I mean, his movement's fantastic for such a, a large player. Uh, I think I think he would be a, a strong signing if Aberdeen could get him. I know he's only scored nine goals this season, but he wasn't signed until October, and he was short a match sharpness. It took him a couple of months to get up to that. So with a, a pre-season under his belt, if he was to come to Aberdeen, I think he'd be a strong signing. Yeah, and J. Emmanuel Thomas has played at a, a very high level. Um, I mean, up until um, you know his move to, to Livingston, he'd been he'd been playing abroad for a, a brief spell. But you know, prior to that, it was never really below the English Championship where he was playing, and obviously came through at uh, Arsenal in a you know sort of star-studded team. So. Uh, I think there there is clearly a, a talent there. Um, in terms of Bruce Anderson, I mean, I've seen him a couple of times for Hamilton um, against Ross County mainly, and it's clear just how how much that that move has really helped him um, because he he hadn't had a great time of it in the the Championship with Air when he went on loan to to Somerset Park earlier in the season. You get the sense that he really needed this uh, this stint with Hamilton to work and. Although the the goals have kind of dried up for him towards the end of the season, I think he's he's found a, a fresh lease of life, and I think that that guarantee of a three year deal at a, a team that's finished in the top six in Livingston will will massively appeal to him. And as Sean says, if that carries more of a, a you know guarantee of regular football than staying on at Pataudry would, then I can see you know Bruce being quite uh, quite swung by that. I totally agree on J. Emmanuel Thomas. I think people have to remember that he was also playing on the right wing for a Livy at points this season as, as more of a creator. I remember when they played County, actually, I can't, I can't remember which game it was, but there was a, there was one of the games where one of the goals Livy scored came from J. Manuel Thomas, basically back-heeling it through a County player's legs on the halfway line and then driving forward. I think he's powerful, pacey, and yeah. I think he'd be a great addition to Stephen Glass's Don's team, whether he suits the style of football that we've been I'm promised that I'm not necessarily sure, but anyway, Ethan Ross as well. He's another one who could potentially sign a new deal. We're not quite sure what's happening with his future yet, but we shall move on after 25 minutes on the Dons. And next up, we'll discuss Ross County securing their survival with a 2-1 win against Motherwell at Far Park. Okay, so Andy, in true Ross County fashion this season... It was self-destructive defending and great attacking to get over the line. Win 2-1. All their, two of their veterans, their stalwarts, contributing goals to um, to make sure that County didn't start next season in the, the second tier. They're a top-flight club. And now we've got that to look forward to. Aye, it was, it was never going to be straightforward, was it? Uh, they knew exactly what they needed to do. But uh, just 10 minutes into the game, it didn't look good for them because Motherwell took the lead. Uh, a scrappy goal from Sam Foley 
have to be said. Um, Marco Hara had got in behind the, the county defence and pulled a ball back across goal, which uh, there were a couple of attempts to, to clear and it just sort of ricocheted off Foley and, and managed to wrong foot Ross Laidlaw. Um, news broke through a couple of minutes later that Kilmarnock had taken the lead against Hamilton and you know, with the team that Hamilton had picked with a number of young players, um, a couple of them making their debuts, I believe, you know, it didn't really ever seem likely that Hamilton were, were going to get back into that. So I think it was apparent that County needed to take care of their, their own business. And in fairness, their their response to going behind was quite good. They they did begin to show signs of their attacking threat as the, the first half went on. And Jordan White hit the bar, probably their, their best chance of the first half. Um, they, they never really managed to sustain it for the full first half. I think half time maybe came at a good time for them, but you know it was really apparent how big a, a second half it was going to be for them. Um, but I was always quite confident that if they kind of kept up their threat, then the breakthrough would come. I think there, there was a, a sense of Motherwell maybe taking their foot off the gas a wee bit in the, the final game when, you know, aside from seventh place, there wasn't really too much up for grabs for them. But I think, um, you know, that just highlighted um, the the importance of Ian Viger's goal so early in the second half because there was that fear that if uh, you know the longer the game went on county knowing that they they had to to strike back um you know there there, there could have been that just anxiety in their their play and things could have got a bit panicked but for Vigers to pull off a, a goal like that um you know just sending it so delicately into the top corner after a, a lovely move which saw him link up with Stephen Kelly for, for that to come so early in the second half really just settled County down. At that point, they knew that, you know, that result would have been enough for them, but, you know, they they just needed to try and get that winner to to be, you know, doubly sure of uh, avoiding the playoff. And as you say, Michael Gardine uh, couldn't have been a, a more kind of fitting player to, to score the winner. Um, lovely slip ball through from Jordan White to release him and, um, you know, with the, the goalkeeper narrowing the, the angle at quite a quite a rapid rate, he um he managed to just show the all the composure you would expect of a you know, club record goal scorer and just tuck it underneath him. Um and after that, although Motherwell did have spells of pressure, I think County just had a bit of confidence from the fact that you know, even one goal would have still been um you know, okay. If they'd conceded one more, you, you, you know, they they would have got away with that. I think they they had that two goal cushion, um, and and they were able to to kind of manage the game from there. So, you know, it was it was a, a thoroughly satisfying afternoon for Ross County. It just means that they're they're not involved in the the playoff drama. That's for Kilmarnock to worry about, and you know they can begin preparing for next season now. Some goal from Vigers, uh, as you said, uh, Michael Gardine though. I think two goals in the Premiership and something. Obviously, they spent some of this time in the Championship, but two goals in the Premiership in something like five years, I think. And I think one was at Kilmarnock in the post-split and one was at the weekend in the post-split to secure the win. So, you know, just as you said, very fitting. Uh, you you interviewed Michael Garden after the game. Uh, he's out of contract, as are a lot of Ross County players in the summer, as is the manager, in the summer, what with Michael Garden? First of all, do you think there's still a, still a role for him at the club next season? 
Undoubtedly, yeah. Um, I think we we got some stats recently which showed that he's he's created more chances than than any other county player and in the campaign and, and that's despite him not featuring quite as much um you know although he's played a, a pivotal role in you know the last five games you mentioned his goal at Kilmarnock and the 2-2 two -two draw which you were at and you know came up with the decisive goal against Motherwell but you know he has been a, a fixture in the side um and you know a big player in their three straight wins that they finished the season with uh, which you know probably comes at a good time for him in making his case for a, a new deal because prior to that he hadn't really featured too much under John Hughes since uh, since he came in in December um, and I think you know maybe that frustration was was playing on his mind a bit. He mentioned a couple of times that he you know he felt he had a lot to offer when County were were chasing games and you know he was on the bench not really being brought on and if he was it wasn't happening until later on in the game. So I, I think there there definitely is a, a role for him, you know, whether it's every week, as you know, you've touched on a similar scenario with Niall McGinn at Aberdeen, you know, it could be a a bit more of a sort of restrained role that uh, that involves less game time over the course of a season. But um, no, I think he's he's certainly one that that could offer them just that experience and uh, that reliable option to to you know come on in games and always be a goal threat. What else then? I think I think we're probably expecting John Hughes to stay on. I think there have been reports this morning already that an agreement is in place. It's just a case of, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's on that one. And, and rightly so. I mean, he's he's come into the club that were, that were listing badly and he's, you know, he's, he's kept them up. Um, but what, what does John Hughes do over the summer to... This will be the chance to put to put, I suppose, his own stamp on the team. Something he didn't really have too much of an opportunity to do, although he did have that transfer window in January. But a summer is a different, different beast. All the players going to contract, he'll be able to say who he wants to keep, who he's going to let go, and who he's going to bring in to replace them. I mean, the, the priority has to be to to cure that chronic defensive frailty. Yeah, but how do they do that while still being a pretty decent attacking force? Although Maybe they haven't, although they've created the chances, maybe they haven't scored as many as they would have liked. I think first and foremost, when, when they've got so many players out of contract, I think it is really important that you know they, they get this clarity over John Hughes's future um, as soon as possible because you know he needs to know whether he's the one that's you know tasked with the you know what could potentially be a, a rebuild. Um, you know, with just the sheer number of players that are out of contract, uh, you know, a number of them will move on. Um, but you know they need someone to to be able to make a judgment on which ones he'd like to keep, and um, you know I think the the potential benefits of County keeping John Hughes are are plain to see from his time at Inverness, uh, where he he got that preseason to work with the players. Um, he'd sort of come in in a to an extent a similar set of circumstances midway through the previous season, although Inverness were challenging up at the you know, in the top half of the table, unlike County, who have been in a relegation dogfight, um, it re really wasn't until that preseason where he, he got the chance to to really get the the hours in and you know without games to to prepare for on a you know weekly and sometimes more than that uh, basis. Uh, you know, he was able to, to to really put forward what what he wanted to do with the the squad, um, and we remember just how how attractive a style of play that was. It's it's what we remember the Inverness team 
been all about really and um you know there was that famous um conversation that uh, that you had with Kenny Cameron the then chairman after the pre-season friendly down at Birmingham City where I think Kenny had mentioned that you know he was worried that, that Inverness would struggle in the the premiership playing this tippy tappy footballer or words to that effect and you know we we all saw what Callie Thistle went on to achieve by finishing third and winning the, the Scottish Cup so I think John Hughes would, would need this pre-season in order to to, to really bring that that uh, that vision to fruition um, and he'll have seen a lot in six months now in the job um, he'll have learned a lot about the, the character and the you know the strengths and weaknesses of of the players that he that he has there but you know he'll he'll also look to to sort of delve into his contact book to to try and bring fresh faces in because I, I I think there is a a, a need for for a fresh start of sorts with the the squad it is quite a, a chunky squad as it stands just now there's a, a mixture of guys that were were there and you know helped the the club um up from the championship um who've served the club well over over the years but you know some of them haven't really featured too much um in in recent weeks um and then there's obviously some of the guys that have come in more recently even you know john hughes's own signings that, that came in in january um some of them you know have performed really well jordan white's been a, a fantastic signing and i think he is now under contract for for next season now that county have stayed up uh but you know there are others who i mean mohammed maush hasn't kicked a ball and he was among the, the substitutes on on sunday um you know he's he's one that i wouldn't expect to to stay on um so that there clearly is a, a lot of work and a lot of thinking needing to be done there and as i say the sooner that John Hughes can can learn one way or another whether he'll be the man to do it. You know, the the sooner County can can really kick on and, and try and you know build a a side that that are going to you know try and kick on next season rather than you know be involved in another dogfight. They they have to be aiming to to be in and among the the likes of you know St Mirren, St Johnson, Livingston, who you know have really made a push for the the top six. And you know, managed to to avoid the the stress of being in a a, a dogfight uh, as as County have now been in for the last two seasons since they they came up. You mentioned a couple of players there, and just finally, it's a little game. I'm going to read out players. You can tell me what you know about their contract contract situation because I know we've discussed previously on the pod that with Ross County, it's not necessarily always clear who no. is actually out of contract and who has still got time left. Harry Payton. A, I think he might have another year, but not 100% sure. Ross Laidlaw? Out of contract. And he has been probably County's best player. He's one that I would expect them to be pulling out all the stops to, to keep. Here's another one I expect that for. Alex Jakovic? Not entirely sure, but I think he may have another year. Key player to Yogi Ball here, Jason Naismith? He was brought in on a deal till the end of the season. Um, another... Um, impressive performer. Um, he's one that they'll they'll certainly hope to to keep on a a longer contract. But wouldn't surprise me if you know he's attracted interest from elsewhere. Billy Mackay, out of contract, I think. Oh God, it's not looking good. Uh, <laughs> there'll be a lot of competition this summer. Uh, Ian Viger is in Ross Draper in the centre midfield position. I think they might be both out of contract. Yeah, and then without 
continuing listing players. I mean, <laughs> you've got Tremarco, I can think of off the top of my head. I presume he was possibly in a one-year deal. One-year deal, yeah. Given his given his age, so there's a lot of work to be a lot of work to be done. The ones I, the ones I read out are the ones that I think will possibly be really good players for County to hold on to. But there's, there's probably others that I'm not I'm not thinking of, um, especially Yakovity. I think um, he's probably been the, one of their more solid defenders, and also a, a, a real goal threat. Uh, and I'm, I've just thought of Connor Randall as well. He's he's another player that they didn't really see a lot of this season. But he's obviously a former Liverpool Youth Academy player, so he must have something about him. Um, despite his injury issues this term. Let's move on then. And we'll see what happens with Ross County in the coming weeks. But Inverness, there's plenty to discuss. Cali Jags following an eventful week. Okay, so last week we discovered that John Robertson, the Cali Thistle manager, he is returning to the club, has returned to the club um, following a period of bereavement leave in which Neil McCann took over the hot seat. Um, now Neil McCann departed at the end of the season. Um, we know Rob was back, but he's back in a sporting director role, inverted commas, although we'll go into how that role isn't necessarily what you'd expect from a sporting director. And Cali Thistle are currently sifting through the applications. Uh, I think the process closes on Friday for a new head coach. First of all, Andy, well, I think I know you spoke to Scott Gardner. That's why I'm, I'm coming to you first. But what was the chief executive saying about the thinking behind John Robertson coming back and doing this role. What's what is the role he's going to be doing? Um, is it is it sad that Robbo won't actually be coming back to be the manager? I, th- I think I think the club are relieved more than anything that, that John Robertson is coming back. You know he he does bring a you know a wealth of talent and just understanding of the club, having been involved with it for so long. Um, so I think you know they're, they're glad to keep hold of him. I think the the decision. Is one, um, you know, the decision to bring him back as a sporting director is one that, you know, hasn't happened at the, the flick of a switch. I think it's it's been a conversation that's been had over a number of weeks um, to kind of ascertain exactly where John Robertson is just now in his personal life and and you know where he would sort of invest at the the club. Um, so, it, in terms of the the sporting director role. I don't think it's it's going to be like a conventional director of football type role where you know there will be some sort of input into the uh, you know the role of the the head coach. I think that's going to be an entirely separate entity. Um, I think there, there there is going to be quite a lot of you know projects that are non related to to football that uh, John Robertson will be kind of cutting his teeth into. Um, Stuff on the, the sort of the business and the commercial side of the the club, which Scott Gardner's been kind of working quite hard on as a a different source of income for them. You know, they're they're now coming into their fifth season in the championship, and um, obviously the the fact that they've not had any fans, as no club has for the you know the last season, will have hurt hurt them in terms of their their planning for the future. So you know they've for a while now been trying to think outside the box a wee bit in terms of how they can bring money into the club they they had concerts lined up at Caledonian Stadium last summer before the, the pandemic hit which you know is an example of ways that they're looking to try and bring funds into the club so I think John Robertson will 
you know, be involved in a bit of that. He he, he worked at Hearts as a uh, you know commercial type figure uh, along with Scott Gardner. Um, you know, he also did a, a bit of work with uh, the Orion Group briefly while he was out of football with uh, Alan Savage, the former Inverness chairman. Um, so he, you know, he does have a bit of experience away from the dugout in in terms of you know how he can uh, you know contribute to a, a football club, but uh, yet to be known really just you know what sort of influence he'll he'll have um, in terms of the the football side of things. It, it does sound increasingly like the the head coach will will have a completely different sort of uh you know line of communication with with scott gardner who will ultimately be the you know the the man overseeing the uh the, the whole club um and so inverness are kind of keen to to move in this new direction and i guess time will time will tell just uh just how it all looks come the, the start of the season paul you've had a little look well, you did at the end of last week at the Runners and Riders. You've also spoken to a couple of people about who they think would maybe be the best person for the head coach role. Who's who's your pick? Yeah, I mean, obviously the supporters would have been desperate, and I think Scott Gardner has said that in his um, online in, online interview this week that uh, Neil McCann would be the seamless pick to go in, given the the job that he did uh, from February onwards. You've got to remember they only missed out on the promotion playoffs by three points, having uh, worked their way up the table from ninth after a, a troubled start where they were playing catch-up quite quite a lot in the, in the number of games that they had to play. Uh, Neil would have been the ideal choice, but he worked very well with Billy Dodds. Billy Dodds and Neil McCann worked really well with Barry Wilson and Ryan Essen. So um, Barry and Ryan will, they've got the assurance, I understand that they will be there next season. Um, so I think it would make sense if Billy wants the job uh, to to come in. He the players really responded to him, and you, you saw that actually they became a little bit more lethal, and uh, the the goal rate went up a little bit more towards the end of the season under the guidance of Billy. I don't know if that's uh, a coincidence or not, but um, I think uh, he's an enthusiastic type. Scott Gardner did say this week the job wouldn't necessarily have to go to someone who'd been a head coach in their own right before. I think that was a wee pointer that if uh, you know Billy hasn't been uh, a head coach before, he's been a number two, of course, up at Ross County alongside Jim McIntyre, who would be another one that I thought if, if Jim McIntyre fancied a return off could be a contender. But um, I think everything points towards Billy Dodds. The other intriguing one, of course, is the duo through in Aberdeen of Paul Sheeran and Barry Robson. But... Um, I think by all accounts they're so highly rated by Stephen Glass, who's gone in there that they, they would become part of the, the setup continuing at Pitodri there. Although uh, I know Paul Sheeran has been interested in the Inverness job before, so um, Paul is a guy who went in the, the lower levels with Arbroath, won Arbroath their first ever title, and uh, he's won a development title for Aberdeen as well. So whether he feels the time would be right to think that himself maybe alongside Barry Robson would be um, now would be the ideal time to come in and and maybe prove a point at a club where that they know so well who knows but I personally I think Billy Dodds looks like the right fit at the right time for me to take the club forward and um, uh, you know John Robertson although as Andy quite rightly said that will be two separate roles John is is always going to be 
on hand and, and available for, for advice. And that's something that Scott Gardner has also said. So, yeah, an, an appointment is imminent. The closing date is this Friday. And I think by the middle of next week, we should have a new Inverness manager in place. You mentioned, Paul, the, the sort of response that Billy Dodds got from the, the players. And I think that, that might be something that just maybe swings it if, you know, if he is in for it. Um, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, the, there could be that continuity that you know is available to the, the club as an option. That, 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 that might really appeal to Inverness. Um, you know, although he wasn't in charge per se, you know, he was assisting Neil McCann. Um, you know, just for the players to, to still have that familiar voice uh, remaining at the club might just be quite important at this point because it, it must have been difficult you know, for them already to, to have to adapt to, you know, Neil McCann and Billy Dodds coming in after John Robertson and Scott Kelliker stepped away in February. And the idea that, you know, they might have to, to make, you know, a, a completely fresh appointment, um, you know, a, a third management team in the space of a few months coming in, you know, that's maybe quite a lot for, for players to, to pro- process. So, um, you know, that, that might be a factor that just swings it in Billy Dodds's favour. But, that being said, um, you know, as with any uh, recruitment process for for a new head coach or manager, um, you know, when you get that list of candidates, you know, handing in their CVs, it, you know, it does build up that excitement and it, you know, encourages that fresh thinking about who could potentially come in. Um, and I'm I'm sure the process will be done thoroughly, um, but you know, just uh, just have to wait and see. How it uh, how it all unfolds over the the next week or so. It, it does seem as if you know Scott Gardner is keen to to act swiftly here, but uh, yeah, time will time will tell. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Andy. And uh, one thing I, that was clear, and I think the, the fans bought into this, was Neil McCann and, and Billy Dodds. They they seemed to enjoy the football that the players were delivering. You could see what it meant to them when the players delivered the big results. That gave them that um, unexpected, if you, if you like, push towards the, the playoffs. Uh, so Billy is in the area anyway. He, he knows the club. He knows uh, everyone there. He, he did before he went into to that role for the, the last few months. And uh, you're right. There's always that excitement. Fans will wonder who's going to be next through the door. But um, this is actually going to be only the ninth man to take charge of Cali Thistle from 1994 right through. It was. Counting back, of course, Craig Brewster's been in charge twice and, and John Robertson twice, but um, it's quite a, a remarkable low rate. And speaking to Ross Totley this week for the PNJ, he said that you know the managers will get the support of the club. There's always that stability in terms of the, the board, always give the manager as much resource and backing. And they're not going to pull the trigger after a few bad results. Um, so it's the job in Inverness is seen quite often as a stepping stone. You know, Steve Patterson moved to Aberdeen, John Robertson moved to Hearts before there is the opportunity for a, a manager to come in, perhaps if it isn't Billy Dodds, and see this as a as a way to not only take Inverness up to the Premiership, but forward their, their own career. So we, we watch with great interest. But I did notice the fun element was back with Inverness last season. Um, and I think the players, as you see, Andy, quite rightly deserve a lot of credit for taking the club out of what was choppy waters down at the wrong end of the table um, back up. And you, you look at the championship next year and uh, with, say, even Kilmarnock with the team to drop down, I don't think there's 
anything really for Inverness to fear. There's no real big hitter like a, a Hearts, a Hibs or Rangers to contend with. So it's all about getting the manager in place quickly, get a strong pre-season, recruit well and, um, you know, the very first bit of business, I suppose you could say, Shane Sutherland uh, signing his deal. Um, goals, um, you, you know, I think will be so important from Shane next season with Daniel Mackay moving off and hopefully they can take on Todorov, who's made the championship team of the season, and get him on board as, as well. I think that concludes near enough this week's episode of the Northern Goal. The only other housekeeping for me to add is that Peter Head's re-signings have continued apace. I'm trying to work out when we recorded on Thursday who, who we already knew had signed. I don't think we knew Hamish Ritchie was actually secured from Inverurie, but he has been, which is obviously something we've talked about before and is a huge signing for the Blue Team because he was impressive on loan in the second half of the season. Also, Jason Brown, centre-back, has committed to a two-year deal, so the length of that deal is particularly pleasing, I'm sure, for our boss Jim McAnally in Elgin City. They've signed centre-back Craig Little, former Stenhouse Muir player. He's also on a two-year contract, so business continuing in the lower leagues. Um, thanks to Andy, Paul and Sean for joining me this week. Cheers, guys. Thank thanks you, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this week's episode of Northern Goal, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can also email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk and, well... I would say enjoy the football this week, but you're probably not watching any football this week if you support any of our teams. So enjoy your summer. We'll try and deliver guest interviews like we we have in the past to tide you over until the football restarts. But yeah, enjoy. See ya. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.